So, Rachel. Yeah? Looking for a missing Federation cultural observer, Kirk and Spock find themselves on a planet whose culture is modeled on the Nazi party. Oh, man. Ooh, this is not going to be a comedic episode like a piece of the action, is it? Let's hope so, anyway. <laughs> uh, well. Why have they modeled it on the Nazis? Has another book been left there? A newsreel, maybe? Hmm? There could be one fanatic who set the whole thing off. That's probably the cultural observer, I'm guessing. Right. Will it be like the producers? They managed to make it funny without being oh. <laughs> completely... <laughs> the musical. <laughs> ...offensive. Kirk will have to decide whether it's right to let them continue or to interfere, and of course he will. Could Spock or Sulu be targeted, perhaps? It'll be a backlot set rather than an alien one. Will there be an equivalent of the Jews, do you think? How will Kirk seize power from a dictator this time? Juan Oritz's poster just has Spock in a Nazi uniform. What's going on with that? <laughs> You're going to find out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Star Trek! Passing outer planet Zeon. We want the inner one, Echos. Plot a standard orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take us in. Hi, sir. Gentlevora, try to raise John Gill on Starfleet Communications. Aye, aye, sir. Starfleet's been trying for six months. If he's still alive, isn't it unlikely that he'd receive us now? I don't know, Bones. We're here to find out what's happened because I don't know. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. And I'm Chris Lackey. And we're here at RachelWatchesStarTrek.com and Patreon. I just noticed, Chris, we've got very few episodes left of this season. Yeah. Maybe three or four. Yeah. Creeping up on the third and final season of the original series. Whoa. But then we've got other things to look forward to. We've got the animated series. We've got the films. Yeah, we don't have to say goodbye to those characters yet. No way. This episode is called Patterns of Force. Hmm. Let's get into it. It starts off with the Enterprise heading for a planet called Ecos to find a missing cultural observer, John Gill. Kirk explains he's a noted historian and, of course, name dropping like I've realized I always do. <laughs> A few people that I know who are famous. He was one of Kirk's teachers at the academy, like every incidental yeah. expert that we find. Or somebody else in the crew does, Spock or McCoy. Mm. They got to make it personal. Usually Kirk, though. Yeah. Spock and McCoy reminisce about his style of approaching history as a matter of causes and motivations rather than simply dates and events. Did he teach all of them? No way, McCoy. McCoy's a bit long in the tooth. <laughs> so they're all just basing it on all the stories Kirk's told about I, this guy? I guess. No, Spock. Were they friends from the Academy? Spock and Kirk weren't friends from the Academy. Oh. I don't think. What's going on then? Spock also went to the Academy. But just at a different time. Yeah. I do remember the most fascinating topic in history at school being the causes of the rise of Nazism. Right. This is certainly one where this guy's teaching style would be at the forefront. Sure, yeah. While this scene's taking place, there's a big picture of some white-haired guy on the screen. It's like that portrait in the good place of that random guy. <laughs> the guy that got the perfect score. Yeah, that's there yeah. all the time. Yeah, it's weird because they don't address it right away. So there's just this picture of a guy and it's Gil. Oh, it turns yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's their screensaver because they love him so much. <laughs> so whenever the screen's not being used, it just defaults to that. He <laughs> <laughs> was that good of a teacher. Oh, yeah. So uh, there are two planets in the system, Xeon on the outermost part of the system and inside is Echos. What does that mean, a system? A star system. Just a solar system. Yeah. They're not bothering each other then. 
Well, well, it turns out they are. Yeah. The other planet is Echos. Echos is where Gil is supposed to be. And they say that Xeon has more advanced technology and also that there is a ship approaching them. So they're going, oh, must be a Xeon ship. Oh, it turns out the ship's actually a missile, a thermonuclear warhead. That's right. And they destroy it, of course, before it gets to them because their technology is far superior to that. But this planet is not supposed to have that level of tech yet. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> So someone's been meddling with the Prime Directive. Uh, yes. Kirk thinks that the Ecosians may have had help. Maybe it was Gil. Mm -hmm. And also Echos is very warlike, they mention, and Xeon is very peaceful. Do you think a lot of history teachers have a fantasy of becoming a dictator? <laughs> <laughs> Just acting out history, you know? A lot? I um, bet you do. Let us know. I think a history teacher might be into the idea of being a time traveler and then mm. going back and changing things to make mm. the world a better place. I mean, I think everybody has fantasies about that. <laughs> no, you do. <laughs> Fearing Gil's mission has violated the Prime Directive, Kirk and Spock decide to beam down to Echoes to investigate. Now, before they do, they have McCoy insert subcutaneous emergency transponders dependent on crystalline rubidium. Well done into their forearms to locate them for retrieval in case they cannot use their communicators. It's like they're listening to me. Yeah. It's really good of them to invent this since the last episode. Yeah. I wonder mm. if it's one of these things that they're going to forget about oh, yeah. later in the series. Big time. Because it would probably be useful to have everybody oh, yeah. every episode have those in your body all the time when you beam down yeah keep an eye out for that in mm. our future episodes we should be keeping a log of tech that oh, has yeah. been useful and notice in other circumstances when it should have been yeah like the psycho tricorder mm. kirk orders scotty to beam them up at a point in time if they fail to contact the ship no matter what they've just given up on red shirts now oh yeah i guess so <laughs> they give an explanation that since ecosians are humanoid their architecture will be similar to earth's but it looks just like a 1930s studio lot that's convenient yeah <laughs> <laughs> Kirk and Spock are dressed as natives, presumably. Kirk's in double denim and Spock's in a knitted hat and a massive jumper full of holes. So they beam down like that. And then some dude in a leather jacket kind of falls into the scene shouting, hide, they're right behind me. Then we see a shot of black boots marching in and one of them kicks him in the face. Ooh. It pans up and the guys are in Nazi uniform with swastika armbands. They keep on calling the leather jacket guy a Zeon pig. Again, they're all dressed like they were in the 1930s in pretty much America. It's a very strange style, but obviously it's because they have budgetary concerns and this is where they can afford to shoot. And so they just kind of try to write around that. Tried to make it look kind of 30s. But was the planet 30s when Gil got there? Yeah. So how do they know that no. it should be that era? No. And then also there is absolutely no trace of the original culture. It looks mm. just like American or Earth culture in the 1930s. Yeah. You would think there would be something that would be still part of the native culture. Mm -hmm. or cultures and that's one thing about science fiction that always kind of bugs me especially in things like star trek and star wars you go to a planet and one planet has one culture they've got the xeons but they're on another planet some of them are in private little war they did have two warring factions that showed a little bit of it but still yeah. generally in sci-fi it's like once you're on a planet it's like that all over the whole planet yeah rather than say this planet was psychedelia planet before gil got there yeah then it would be like psychedelic nazis right a blend of the old and the new but yeah. that takes making a lot of new costumes yeah, so they can't afford that i get it an outdoor flat screen calls out an announcement from the fuhrer attention an announcement from fuhrer headquarters today the fuhrer has ordered our glorious capital to be made zeon free Starting at dawn, our heroic troops began flushing out the Xeon monsters who've been poisoning our planet. How could this have happened? 
the chances of another planet developing a culture like Nazi Germany using the forms, the symbols, the uniforms of 20th century Earth are so fantastically slim. Virtually impossible, Captain. Yet the evidence is quite clear. Well, they show a picture of Gil as the Fuhrer. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the newsreel is Zig Heiling and Nazi saluting. And a blonde woman is awarded the Iron Cross. You know, Shanna really loves saying Nazis. What should it be? Nazis. Nazis, yeah. Nazi. I say Nazis. Nazis? Nazis. You don't say Nazis. You say Nazi <laughs> and I say Nazi. It just really stands out to me in flashbacks to the whole sabotage thing. <laughs> well, maybe he's got Yorkshire roots. Possibly. He's Canadian. <laughs> An SS officer identifies Spock as a Zeon. Kirk pushes Spock, pretending to be against him then, and then neck chops the Nazi. <laughs> It's quite broad, this acting that he does, but it's Kirk acting, so I yeah. get it. So Spock accepts that it would be logical for them to steal the uniform. Hmm. I'm guessing officers not in combat didn't wear helmets just walking around the streets. No, but, but soldiers it, would. Would they? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. especially if they're some kind of military police or something like that, they would have helmets. Okay. Well, I tried to give it a little look up, but, but it's a minefield out there, isn't it? <laughs> Bit of poetic license, if not, because Spock needs to cover his ears. Right. A Gestapo guy questions Spock, who now pretends Kirk is the Zeon, and then he nerf pinches him. Kirk nicks his uniform and shows off that it's nicer than Spock's <laughs> Gestapo, I believe. It's <laughs> so awkward. Weird and creepy. <laughs> Spock says, You should make a very convincing Nazi, and Kirk gives him a pretty good double take. Oh, man. <laughs> they attempt to sneak in, but they are busted right away for not knowing protocols. A superior officer orders Spock to remove his helmet. Ears. He's also a different colour and also his improv is really bad. <laughs> Once his ears are revealed, Spock looks at the Major like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> he does. What they're going to do about it is they're going to give them a whipping. Oh. Uh, so they cut to Kirk and Spock are shirtless yeah. and they are tied up. When Kirk gets whipped, it hurts a bit. But when Spock gets whipped, he's like, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm in total control of pain and my emotions. So it's not cool. a big deal. He can self-heal later. <laughs> Cue extended topless scenes of the shoddiest makeup so far. Yeah. It just looks like Kirk's been in a fight with someone brandishing a fuchsia lipstick. <laughs> they could have tried a lot harder than that because there's a lot of scenes with this in. Yeah. And Spock's got green welts on him, of course. Right, because of his green blood. I think that maybe they went more stylistic with it. They could have made it look more real, but I, I think that that might have been too gory for mm, television. That's nice of you. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Kirk's nice and sweaty, but not Spark. They say they will only talk to the Fuhrer. Chairman Enig enters, asking about their phasers and chides the SS guard for not realizing that punishment is effective only for so long. He doesn't want them to keep whipping them. Yeah, so he says, lock them up, let their pain argue with them for an hour. The leather jacket Zeon that was captured earlier is there in the cell next to them, and he's called Isaac. He's mm. watching what's going on. Kirk laments that Gil was the gentlest man he'd ever known and seems to have become a Nazi. Impossible. Isaac explains that the hate of the Zeons holds the Nazis together. The Ekosians were always a warring people, but they didn't target the Zeons until the Nazi movement began. At the same time, Gil arrived. The Ekosians are using the tech that the Zeons gave them. The trouble is that Zeons were so peaceful they won't fight back. Ooh, we've had that before, haven't we? Private little war. Of course. After a bit of best friends thinking, they come up with an escape idea. MacGyver time with the transponder crystals from under their skin. Yeah. Do they gouge the crystals out of their arms yeah. with bits of the bed? Yeah. Metal? 
They cut it out. Not even a wince. No. And then there are no marks on their arms <laughs> oh, <right>. afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> There's no acknowledgement of pain from all the whipping wounds either. No. They must have taken two paracetamol before they came. <laughs> That's what I did for my second birth. No problem. <laughs> Next comes a funny bit where Spock is standing on Kirk's whipped back to reach the light. It feels really out of place with the tone. Yeah, it does. Oh, Mr. Spock, we go into the very professional job on my back. I'd appreciate it if you'd hurry. Yes, of course, Captain. You realize that the aim will, of course, be very crude. I don't care if you hit the broadside of a barn. Just hurry, please. Captain, why should I aim at such a structure? Never mind, Spock. Just get on with the job. Hmm. Oh, man. Not good. The, what was really bad about that is that it was just not in character. Like, why would Spock he... do that stuff? It just implies that he is kind of scatterbrained. He wouldn't be distracted No like way. That. Even though he's pedantic and literal, he wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. And you've got, oh, man, if you're going to do a Nazi episode, you've got to put about a year of planning and writing into that thing. That's sensitive. <laughs> and this is only 24 years after the war ended. Oh, if you're going to start throwing in little comedy scenes, just... Be careful, guys. Yeah. They're able to use those crystals and then the light and focus it somehow into a laser mm. that melts the lock. Well done. So Kirk calls in a guard. They nerve pinch him from behind and they take Isaac with them as a guide. Then make their way to the SS laboratory where Kirk pockets keys from the guard. By shoving into him and then pretending the Xeon pig pushed him. They retrieve two disassembled communicators from the SS laboratory. Then a guard comes snooping in and then they knock him out too. Spock steals his uniform. Costume change number three for Spock. Yeah, there's a lot of costume <laughs> oh, yeah. change here. They escape with Isaac in a stretcher. So Isaac takes them to an underground base. They have to go into a manhole cover where they meet his brother abram abram says sorry man your fiance was killed by nazis isaac doesn't seem that bothered yeah he even goes into detail about like how they yeah, cool. beat her cool, left her for dead in the street nobody oh. could help her so they watched her die for like a day Dude, out in the street <laughs> too much don't make that guy give the information but then he's just like oh, okay it's a bit of a star trek theme isn't it alien man's fiance is killed he carries on more determined than ever, I suppose, but basically unaffected. Yeah, it's not good. While the, all this is going on, a squad of Ecosian stormtroopers led by the decorated woman from the newsreel arrive. Uh-oh. And looks like they're all busted. She shoots Abram dead and then plans to finish the job by killing Kirk. Side beret. Yeah. It's defying gravity. <laughs> it's completely on one side of her head, this beret. It's great. <laughs> anyway, Kirk manages to get her at gunpoint. Yes. So when Kirk and Spock intervene to help the underground workers, it is revealed that the woman, Daris, is an Ecosian member of the underground, and the storming in was to test to see if these two strangers could be trusted. Ah, thankfully no one got shot in that little test. It was a good trick on the audience, though. I liked it. Yeah. Kirk and Spock then reveal who they really are and why they're there. They learn that the Fuhrer is about to make a speech to the Chancellery. Isaac suspects war will be declared on Xeon, the final solution. Mm. Chilling. Yeah. Or it should be, but it didn't really resonate for me. Sure. All this stuff is a bit hokey and mm -hmm. silly, yeah. To sneak into the Chancellery and reach Gil the Fuhrer, Kirk, Spock and Isaac pretend to be a Nazi documentary crew filming Darris. I really liked that bit. Yeah. It just kind of worked somehow. They were bustling around her, holding lights with swastikas on and cameras with swastikas <laughs> on. <laughs> and it just was really convincing that that would allow them pass into official buildings. Yeah, they used the lights to focus attention away from them, which mm -hmm. I thought was very clever. Then they get to where Gil is, but there's two guards on the door. So then they pretend to film a scene in front of the guards with her. Mm -hmm. And they say that they're there to film the Fuhrer's final solution speech. While they're doing that, Spock's able to kind of sneak around and peek in the window and he sees Gil 
Jill is in this little room with a bunch of microphones in front of him, but he looks like he's all drugged up. He's just sitting there motionless like fake Baylock. At this point, I was really riveted. What is going on here? Mm, creepy. I don't remember this episode at all. I mean, I remember mm. them getting whipped and I remember the Nazi stuff, but that's that's about it. So the plot of it was a mystery to me as we were watching it. Kirk tells Spock that they need Dr. McCoy. So he goes into a cloakroom with Spock and calls the Enterprise to beam down McCoy. And now they're only able to do this with piecing together parts from two of their communicators. Spock goes, I don't know if this thing's going to work. And it, it does, yeah. but barely. They tell Ahura, you got to beam McCoy down in a Nazi colonel's uniform. Oh, man. And she is really confused by this. Is this another one of your initiation ceremonies? <laughs> I mean, I understand why she would be confused. Oh, yeah. Because it's preposterous. Unfortunately, their transmission was traced to the building, and a search party is now trying to find them. Mm. McCoy is beamed in, but not quite dressed. Mm -hmm. There's a bit where he complains his boots are the wrong size, and he can't get them on, even though they're similar to the ones he wears every day. <laughs> and he gets some cute advice about pointing his toe. So right then, the search party finds them, and it looks like, oh, no, it's over. But they pretend that McCoy, who is the highest-ranking officer there, is drunk, and they took him in there to cloak his public drunkenness. Mm, good idea. It seems to work. Why does nobody know who anybody is in this party? Though? Well. <laughs> they, don't, they don't notice that this colonel's someone they've never met before. Also, why does the guy who has seen them before being whipped not know who Kirk and Spock are, we thought? Yeah, we thought that. We're like, that's that's the guy from before who saw them getting tortured. And mm -hmm. he looked at them. I'm like, why doesn't he recognize them? And they bring this up. So then if they're bringing it up, you know that it's part of the Intentional. plot. Enig. That's his name. Enig. They all go out with the big group to listen to Gil's big speech. Now, he doesn't actually come out. He is just going to be broadcast on screen. So even the people there to hear it in person, he's in another room because of security, they say. Yeah. Is he just behind glass in a booth? Yeah. Connected to the room. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of laughable, this, I'm afraid, because there's a microphone fully in front of his mouth, a huge one. Yeah. And he's just sitting there like a dummy. Yeah, not moving but, at all. But nobody seems to care. Yeah. In his speech, he says that they are sending a ship to wipe out the Zeons. All the Nazis, they go nuts. They love it. They're really excited about this genocide. Man. Are they targeting the Zeon planet or is it just the people who are living on Ecos? I think the planet. I think, you know, they're sending a ship. So they're going to try and destroy everybody on that planet. Man, why is there beef? Yeah. After the speech, Kirk, Spock and McCoy bust in and get to Gil. McCoy and Kirk wrestle over how many doses of stimulant to use to revive Gil. They revive him a bit, but Spock has to mind meld with him to figure out what they exactly did to him. And as Spock does this, he finds out he's able to manipulate his mind so that he can answer questions, but he can't say things unprompted. Mm. Which was very specific and strange. <laughs> I thought, well, it's a bit of a stretch. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. they're doing this for plot purposes. Yeah, stretch so. to say the least. Gil explains that he witnessed the Ecosians fighting brutally amongst themselves and he wanted to unify them. Even though he was only there as a cultural observer. Yes. He felt that Nazi Germany was a good model for unification and believed that they could embrace its efficiency while downplaying the sadistic, fascist, and xenophobic aspects. <laughs> downplaying? <laughs> so Kirk and any normal human being is shocked by how totally stupid this idea <laughs> yeah. is. Spock points out that the Nazis provided an incredible recovery for Germany after economic and political collapse after the First World War. Mm. Now, this idea was very popular at the time in the 1960s, but has been pretty discredited now. Has it? Yeah, uh, the historian William L. Schreier 
In particular, noted that the Nazi hierarchy was a web of competition with many high officials bitterly opposed to each other. Consequently, their jurisdictions often overlapped and or collided with one another. Mm. Hence, this conflict actually reduced or even in some cases completely negated governmental efficiency. Mm. It did give the people hope in economic growth and pride in their country. Inconceivable in the present day, only two generations back. Could a reasonable person 200 years from now have enough distance to think this would be acceptable no, as a plan? This is, this is a totally stupid. I was really angry because when we were watching the show, I was pretty riveted by the plot. Like, what is going on? What's mm. this explanation going to be? I bet you it's going to be really cool. And yeah. it turns out, no, it's just this guy had this totally stupid idea. Involving the uniforms and the specifics yeah, of it. I was really let down by the really odd. by the idea of what they were trying to deliver here. Oh, uh, so he explains also once he set up this new government, this Nazi thing on the planet. Mm. This guy Melikon saw an opportunity to take over because they're a warlike people. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, this guy's weak. I can totally get him." So he drugs Gil and he takes over and uses Gil kind of as a drugged up puppet. He's the one that made them refocus their hatred on the Xeons. The Enix search party gets into the room and Kirk pretends to have stopped Spock's assassination attempt. They convince Enig to take him to Melikon. Now, Isaac deduces that Enig is part of the underground resistance. Ah, uh, that's why he pretended not to recognize Spock and Kirk yes. earlier when they were pretending to hide the drunk McCoy. Yes. So hmm. w- while Melikon is distracted with all that, Kirk tries to revive Gil. After a drawn out scene, Kirk gets Gil to broadcast a message to call off the invasion and say that Melikon is a traitor. Melikon, he starts to wig out a bit. So he grabs a machine gun and he shoots through the wall into the room with Gil and Kirk. Ooh. So Isaac pops up and shoots Melikon dead with his pistol. Nobody rises up in revenge against this. <laughs> nope, <laughs> Not there's... that bothered. Yeah, well, you know, things happen. So Gil was shot. Kirk was lucky and avoided being impaled. So he cradles Gil in his arms, and Gil's dying words are that the Prime Directive was the right way to go. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Will a dying man's words get through to Kirk this time, or will it still be one rule for others and another for him? (laughs) I think you know the answer to that one. So Enig takes control of the government, declaring, there's been enough killing. Now we'll start to live the way the Fuhrer meant us to live. Oh, that's a creepy sentence. It sure is. He says he'll go on the airwaves with Doris and offer a new way of life for both the Ecosians and the Xeons. So back on board the Enterprise, we get this little wrap-up scene. Captain, I never will understand humans. How could a man as brilliant, a mind as logical as John Gill's, have made such a fatal error? You drew the wrong conclusion from history, huh? The problem with the Nazis wasn't simply that their leaders were evil, psychotic men. They were. But the main problem, I think, was the leader principle. What he's saying, Spock, is that a man holds that much power, even with the best intentions, just can't resist the urge to play God. Thank you, Doctor. I was able to gather the meaning. It also proves another saying. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Darn clever, these Earthmen, when you say? Yes. Earthmen like Ramses, Alexander, Caesar, Napoleon, Hitler, Lee Kuan. Your whole Earth history is made up of men seeking absolute power. Now, Spock, you obviously don't under- Obviously, Doctor, you failed to accept- Gentlemen, gentlemen, we've just been through one civil war. Let's not start another. Check off, take us out of orbit, warp factor two, and hurry. Uh. Mm. Seems so inappropriate for them to compare 
their little civil war with what was going on on the planet. Yeah. And then obviously with the Nazi experience. Yeah. More generally. Well, let's get into the concepts. They talked about the most efficient way to regain power stability, economic growth and pride was to model themselves on Nazi Germany, but leave the evil bit out. And what did you make of that? <laughs> it was preposterous. It's an authoritarian government. So having any kind of authoritarian government is prone to corruption easily. Mm -hmm. One person or a few group of people are going to decide what's right and what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And impose that on everybody else. Yeah, it's no way. No way is that going to work. That's ridiculous. Perhaps they were tapping into German shame at getting behind Hitler as a hope for a stronger, prouder future and then being manipulated into what followed. No Scotty in this episode. No. Way too soon for James, I imagine. Being that he actually fought Nazis. Mm-hmm. Very strange concept indeed. What were they trying to say? I wish I knew. I don't really get what the, this is all about. I think it might have something to do with the idea of doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Hmm. Trying to stop all this fighting by coming up with this authoritarian government but of course that comes at a cost and that is what he had to deal with and in the end it killed him so i guess that's what they're trying to say mm, yeah like you could seize power for the right means and then have your power manipulated by someone with the wrong intention i guess so so we have this dictator as puppet with edited together sound bites and a mic in front of his mouth <laughs> i didn't buy that he'd gain or maintain control with his zero passion or charisma or movement. Yeah. Even in the speeches they'd cobbled together from before, he had nothing going on. Yeah. And Hitler's passionate speaking style was one of the reasons he was able to rise to power. Strange that they didn't emulate that whatsoever. <laughs> I do like the idea of people still lapping up rehashed speeches, though, and using them to back up a totally different ethos. <laughs> That's right. People do that a lot, don't they? Just pull out a little quote from somebody yeah. where it was not at all their intention no. to be supporting this. Uh, yeah idea. Shatner was into the script. I've got a quote here from Shatner, who's actually quoting the fellow that Lucas that wrote the script. Again, this is Shatner telling a story of what Lucas told him. So that oh, I'm wow. Lucas through Shatner. So I don't know if I should try and pretend to be <laughs> Shatner doing a Lucas impersonation. Oh wow, that's a lot of layers. It was fun to write a well-meaning Nazi, a guy for the right cause completely effed everything up. You hmm. know, we started with the question, how the hell did Nazis and get past the sh in the street gangs and take root amongst the basically decent people? How did sane, reasonable adults come to buy into this BS? The answer seems to be because it was efficient and because in a society beset by all kinds of problems, it may have seemed like a feasible necessity. So it becomes feasible and the people take that leap. There's some silly things in the script as well. Enig is gene spelled backwards. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And Zion is obviously Zion. Zion yeah. yeah. And all of the, the Zion's names are biblical sounding names like Isaac and Enoch and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. it had some interesting concepts. Like I was really riveted by this whole episode. And mm -hmm. Except by the end of it, it just was kind of a dumb idea. And this idea that by just taking out this one guy in authoritative position, that it's going to topple the whole regime. Oh, yeah. There is a whole power structure that's in place. Mm. And there's a lot of people that like it the way it is. Yeah. Maybe like the best case scenario is that those people start infighting because mm -hmm. they want to 
take over where Malachor was. Yeah. Either it's in their interest or they're brainwashed to the extent that they want to, want to continue the plan. But they just ramp up the episode by going, oh, okay, everybody's free. We're going to start a new government and everything will yeah. be wonderful. And it's like, ah. Oh. All hail Dorothy. The Wicked Witch is dead. <laughs> and then everything's fine. <laughs> the concepts were very muddled and confused and I don't really understand what they were trying to do. Mm. Uh, so like a three? Mm, yeah, I guess so. Entertainment. No Kirk Fu. I think there was a little chop. That was about it. Yeah. We did have a few Vulcan nerve pinches, though, so yeah. fair enough for that. Bit slow, though. I liked the newsreel as exposition towards the beginning. Yeah, that was Innovative good. use of exposition. They were too immune to pain for me. All those costume changes with those welts on their backs, oh, yeah. and they never even winced or anything. Yeah. Maybe the adrenaline got them through. You can't have adrenaline running that long. Yeah, well, yeah. I know we had the scene where Spock was standing on his back, but for the most part, there was yeah. no acknowledgement of the pain they were in. I enjoyed the documentary crew cover. You can get in anywhere if you're peripheral to someone famous. Yeah. But not one of my favourite episodes. Felt quite uncomfortable to have the zany, let's dress up as Nazis and sort of casually knowing things about Nazis, but not in a very reverent or convincing yeah. way, just in quite work for me this episode obviously was not originally aired in germany and it wasn't shown there until 1996 oh and i was super like i said really into it and the end just kind of let me down so i would give it a three that sounds a bit harsh i wasn't bored and daris was an interesting character well played I yeah thought. it just didn't quite deliver did it but that's the mm. concept i suppose that's the script yeah Is that entertainment yeah no yeah that's concept so entertainment were we bored or angry but angered by it <laughs> or annoyed or made uncomfortable i wasn't bored no uh i was a little angered <laughs> and uh made a little uncomfortable yeah so i would say yeah, four then four four yeah i agree four sexiness well they're keeping to the one woman per episode rule <laughs> and side beret is not bad looking and she's an undercover badass type sure We've got Topless Kirk and Spock plus S&M. Right. And they were getting pretty close to each other as they were trying to gouge things out of each other's arms, which was pretty erotic, I thought. Erotic. Unfortunately, the uniforms are quite flattering. <laughs> and McCoy in particular looked really good in his. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel uncomfortable about that. Uh-huh. Have we seen Spock topless before? I don't think so. It's pretty hairy compared to Kirk, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Not a bad thing. No. Lean. Nice shoulders. Yeah. Had a little look for Nazi erotica. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And just briefly, yeah. found some Nazi exploitation films from the 1970s. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Natsploitation. Uh, of course. Involving villainous Nazis committing criminal acts of a sexual nature, often as camp or prison overseers in World War II settings. Uh... Most followed the standard women in prison formula, only relocated to a death camp or a Nazi brothel. Uh... There's Ilsa Sheewolf of the SS in 1974, which led to success and lots of sequels. Oh, wow. While that series and Salon Kitty were profitable, the other films were mostly box office flops and the genre all but vanished by the mid-1980s. Mm. There's also Nazi Love Camp 27. <laughs> I didn't want to search for Nazi porn. Oh, yeah, no, of course not. I'm sure there's plenty of it out there. Oh, yeah. For me, I'm not particularly an S&M guy and Kirk and Spock hold not much sexual attraction for mm -hmm. me and by much i mean none All right and there was one woman in the whole episode would you get with her she's pretty good looking yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but i mean eh. and then all the nazi stuff is kind of not sexy mm -hmm. so uniforms I, are eh. but not but they're i mean they were, it's horrible i can't get past that so two two yeah, yeah okay well for me i suppose 
I'm going to go for a five just because of that one scene with Kirk and Spock. Yeah. Okay. I yeah, but then oh, the whole Nazi thing takes it down, doesn't it? Four. Four. So our next episode is called By Any Other Name. Oh, maybe the Shakespeare troupe is back. That's <laughs> Romeo and Juliet or something, isn't it? <laughs> Boy, that would be some good stuff. I don't remember this episode at all, so I'm excited to jump into it. Before we go, we've got another testimonial from one of our patrons. Elisheba said, the bonus content offered to patrons is amazing, from salacious reviews of erotic fiction to the delightful and I hope continuing series of Chris Watches musicals, in which I learned about the crossover song between Thoroughly Modern Millie and Young Frankenstein. I definitely get my patron dollars worth of extra entertainment every month. For reals, more fan fiction, please. <laughs> <laughs> I think some might be coming up next month. Oh, great. I'm interested oh. in delving into that again. Wow. So why don't you join us over on Patreon.com and get some extra stuff and be part of the crew. It would be great to have you. Yeah. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek!